Welcome, Survivor fans, to another episode of Australian Survivor Talking Tribal. We're going to be digging deep into everything that happened in this week's Australian Survivor Blood versus Wardberg. Got to warn you, if you haven't seen episodes 17 and 18, you might want to stop right there and head to 10 Play to catch up on all your Survivor action. A lot happened, a lot of twists, a lot of turns. Joining us always are our expert panel, none more so than King George from last year's season. Speaking of last year's season, once again, we're joined by the Queen herself, the reigning soul survivor, Haley, and survivor fan, podcaster, broadcaster, writer, and all-round fanatic when it comes to survivor, Shannon Gusk. Let's start off with you, maybe, Shannon. Last week, we talked about the survivor curse. Now, Geordie won himself a car this week, so maybe you didn't feel like that much of a curse, but he also got voted out. Do you think the curse is still in effect here? Yeah, I think the curse has merit. As I said a couple of weeks ago, I think the fact that someone who can win a challenge, who can kind of play out of their skin to win something that everyone wants, makes them inherently a threat. And it's probably a reason they're being targeted anyway. I mean, Geordie showed some phenomenal drive, pun completely intended, in winning that car. And he's really taken it just up a level since Jesse got voted out in the challenges and kind of galvanizing that minority, really trying some things, even in purgatory. So for the same reasons that he could kind of go to that next level, to win a car even beyond that the reasons that he's been targeted for quite a while now and when you're on the ground there is this feeling where you know someone has won something already and it does feel bad to vote people out but if you know they've won something it feels a little bit less bad to vote them out i think maybe that folds in a little bit to this car curse look i i recognize that there is a car curse on survivor and who knows why um i don't know what um the car and the player and the nexus and the connection is. But from my perspective, um, Geordie went on one of the biggest hole-digging exercises I've ever seen on Australian Survivor, and he dug his own grave. Nothing to do with a curse. I think that Geordie's mistake was way back, you know, what saw Jesse get voted out um, in his misreading of Josh. But I really feel like he has been trying desperately hard since that happened and I think has been doing as well as he can. It's just that Mark and Sam have been outplaying him, which we'll talk about with the light, which has just been kind of phenomenal to see. But I've really just kind of admired how much he's put into it, how hard he's been trying in it. And I really felt like seeing him win the car was one of my favorite moments, definitely of the week, possibly beyond that. I'm um, seeing Jesse's reaction to that because during the challenge with Khan, he even said, you know, it's, it's three times more than he and Jesse make in a year. So knowing kind of what the car would mean to him, I thought was like a really important story element, seeing him, you know, talk to his dad or see the video of his dad at the reward. I felt like we were getting a lot more of Geordie's story. And I think that he works really well in that underdog archetype. Now, Geordie, of course, won the reward and got to take a few people with him. Do you think he was clever on who he ended up choosing? Look, I think Geordie was trying to be clever, but he made the same mistake that Danny made about 10 times with me on the last season of Australian Survivor. You don't leave the operators behind in camp to solidify an alliance against you. Yes, he tried to build numbers, but he just took the wrong people. I think Geordie would have been better off taking Sam. Josh was a good choice. Probably taking Mark along, go on a peacemaking exercise and try and work something out moving forward. Instead, he took the floaters along in the game, people that haven't been willing to make active decisions. And I don't know why he was surprised that they weren't again, for his benefit. I think I disagree a little bit. Like, I, I do think he could have taken different people, although I don't know if taking Sam and Mark would have been the right idea. I don't think it's really in Sam and Mark's best interest for Geordie to stay around, nor is it in their best interest to break apart from 
Jordan and Josh. I almost feel like I, I would have liked to see him take both David and Chrissy and really work on trying to get them to swing because they're the two people in that six majority where it is in their interest to make a move, even though they don't seem to be willing to do it yet. And then maybe also bring along either Michelle or KJ, whichever of those two he thinks could help him convince them to do that move. Yeah, I'd slightly disagree with both of you, which probably shows that there's like no right answer here. I like taking Dave. I feel like he's on the bottom. Like he's been trying to get him to flip for a while. And Dave even has shown that he will vote against that majority. So I think that was good. I think Jordan, it seems weird to us because you'd think take the power playing cousin. You definitely want to get, you know, one of the cousins, but maybe that speaks to his relationship with Jordan. I felt Michelle, like she's kind of already with you. She's already on the bottom. Don't need to convince her. I might've gone with like a Chrissy, but Chrissy seems pretty locked into that majority. Like I really do feel that it has been an uphill battle for Jordy, which is a bit difficult. I think he's done, as I said, as well as he can with it, even though like none of it has really worked. But yeah, I think maybe, maybe not Michelle, because as he said, he's not even looking for idols anymore because he knows where they are. So the way that like an ally can help you with an idol reward, like Jesse did last week, although it didn't end great, he can't even really use that with Michelle. So I would have probably gone with Chrissy instead. See, Geordie's problem is he needs players to actually do something rather than sit down and suntan. The best way for that to happen is to have taken a really passive approach. You leave all these players behind at camp so they can have conversations openly without you there and maybe there'd be a miracle from the Macedonian Jesus and they'll decide to band together on their own and you can find out later. But if you leave Sam and Mark there, they're going to do what they've been doing for this entire game. They're going to control it and they're going to determine who goes home. I was interested in Michelle's comment that she thought that Sam's move crossed some sort of ethical line. What were your thoughts on that? Oh, God, I could not disagree more here. I mean... You're coming on to play Australian Survivor. You see one of the greatest moves happen in history. I would have applauded Sam. I would have, I would have wanted to work with Sam and to sit down there and to start lecturing about ethics. It's like, please. I completely agree with George. This does not cross an ethical line for me. In Survivor, it's all about how can you manipulate someone well enough to get them to do what is in your best interest but not in their best interest. And Sam has done this perfectly. We are completely okay with blindsiding people. We're okay with doing it with one idol in their pocket, two idols in their pocket. And if you can manage to do that while keeping their idol, it's like the next evolution of that. So I think it was very impressive that Sam managed to pull this off. I mean, where do the ethics stop? Do the ethics stop in trying to break down a majority alliance? Do the ethics stop in trying to actually do something in the game? If you're going to sit down there and start talking about ethics, you've really come onto the wrong game. And Sam didn't break any rules. Like she didn't tackle Jesse to the ground and pull the idol off him. Uh, she convinced him willingly to hand it to her. And that is well within the rules of this game. Yeah, I think asking a strategic panel if a move like that crosses a line is probably going to get like a uniform response from all of us. There definitely is that you can go beyond the ethics of the game on Survivor. There are a few examples of it, but they speak for themselves and they're pretty clearly way, way, way past the line. Like the line is a dot to them. So I think that this definitely doesn't fall into that camp. It was purely strategic. But I will say that while we as a panel uh, analyzing it don't see it as crossing a line, 
all that matters is the perception of the jury. And Michelle is now a juror. So even even beyond that statement, I'm kind of concerned for Sam, who really has a very, very high winner potential. The way that she's being perceived in the game with a comment like that, that it goes beyond the line, some of the ways that she's seen as erratic or paranoid or chaotic, we may not understand this much on the show, but how you make people feel out there is 99%. So I am a little bit concerned for her this week, even though she did some amazing stuff with the lying, um, just the way that she'd been perceived if she were to get to the end. I mean, a move like this is pretty risky, but is it almost so ballsy and in your face that it can turn people off voting for you when it comes down to that final vote? Yeah, you have to know your jury. I mean, George can speak to the fact that there was like, quite a brawny jury and that was something that they really found very important and maybe truth and honesty and integrity in quotes will be something that matters to this jury and a move like that wouldn't impress them the way it would if, if Haley and George were jurors for example but I think we spoke about it last week I mean this has been the diciest part of Sam's game having to lie having it she's done it well and then Geordie definitely lost that battle but making the move put her in a dangerous spot and she's had to maintain from there I think she has done well but it definitely put her in a risky spot Yeah, look, I had to live through the most bitter jury in Australian Survivor history, so I don't need to be reminded of the fact that it doesn't matter what you do, it's the perception of it that sometimes matters with different people and when they have different kind of understandings of the game of Survivor, it might be very different to yours. From my perception right now, I think the players in the game, aside from perhaps Jesse, will not be a bitter jury, but we've got a few more weeks to go before the season ends If I'm sitting on the jury and I've seen what I've seen from Sam Gash already, I mean, she's got my vote lock, stock and barrel. She has gone above and beyond every single day out there in the game. She's come out to play. There's no one right now more deserving for the title of sole survivor in the crown than Sam. Yeah, I have a slightly different opinion to this than George does. I think that the jury management is the most important thing that is happening right now. And making big moves is nice and it's fun, but when you lie to everyone's face, as clearly as Sam is doing here, it is going to come out. It will come out. And so they'll find out she's had that idol, she's lied about it, which is a you know fun move to watch. But once that comes out, Sam's going to be in a really tough place and not just a tough place because suddenly no one's going to trust her anymore because she's lied straight to their face so strongly. But if you, as Shannon has said, like if you're valuing loyalty, which may be something like Chrissy might be doing, you're not going to like this. And Geordie and Jesse are going to be, if they are on the jury and Sam is sitting at the end, they're not going to like this. Michelle seems to be someone who's not going to like this. So it is a fun move. It is interesting to watch. It is risky long term to have such big lies being told to everybody's face. I think like someone like Geordie maybe could respect the move. For me, it's actually not even so much about the move. It's just like the way that people are perceiving her around camp generally. Even when she's like swaying, they're like, look at her sway. I'm saying things like, oh, let's watch her blow up her game or this will be messy. Like there's some sort of perception that's actually gone on for a few weeks that I think we haven't seen as much because we're not out there with them. And it's honestly seemed a little maybe a little bit demeaning. We're like, this is a power player. What do you mean? Like, she maybe she has a right to be paranoid. Of course, she is in a tricky spot. But it's just the way that other people view her. It's kind of maybe like a little bit of a loose cannon. And maybe you don't want to vote for that person to win. Like, we see her incredible moves and we see all the success that she's having. But if that's kind of for them, like one drop in an ocean of paranoia, and that's how they mainly perceive her, like she might have a trickier time against someone who seems more stable. Like, well, I mean, Mark, that would be fine. Or Josh, for example, or just someone who kind of, 
seems more even killed. So it's not even about the move for me because I actually think someone like Geordie, who's a game player um, and kind of the Joker, should respect something as devilishly evil as Sam did. I don't have that interpretation of Geordie at all. I mean, we saw that interaction that Geordie had with Sam. Sam just walked out there to try and mend a bridge and to extend an olive branch and he reacted in the most juvenile manner. Oh, oh, I'm going to vote you out. It's just like, you know, I'm having complete flashbacks to the most bitter jury in history, Emmett, where no matter what you can do, no matter how good the game's been, they're just not going to vote for you. I think the smart thing for Sam to do is if she gets to the end, campaign where there's fertile ground and opportunity, and that might not be with Geordie, that might not be with Jesse. If they're bitter, so be it. Focus on the others. I take slight issue in the um, description of the jury as being bitter. I think that you have to be really careful that you are managing social relationships. If a jury is bitter with you, you have not managed your social relationships correctly and you've sent them out with a bad feeling in their mouth about you. So you have to be managing that. Every time someone is going home, they shouldn't be feeling terrible about you. Yeah, a lot of comments we've seen saying that Jesse, great player, smart guy, but maybe not so smart in making that decision. Yeah, I'm obsessed with this. I'm obsessed with the fact that the reason that they can't believe this lie, which honestly, you know, credit to George last week, like I I didn't see at all that they wouldn't believe it because it's such a detailed story. It's such a creative story. If Jordy came up with it, that honestly, like, well done to him. So the fact that they mostly don't believe it because no one could be that stupid, which is basically paraphrasing what they said, is kind of hilarious and sad to me. And I mean, at least they, they think that Jesse's a smart guy. I'm sorry that he's like let them down to a degree in that way. Yeah, it's fascinating because the truth doesn't necessarily matter. Like wonderful Haley on this panel knows all too well from the last season of Australian Survivor, all that matters is perception and why the person is doing what they're doing. And Geordie's doing a Haley. Geordie's trying to torch everything to the ground because they're about to get voted off. And then you've got to question yourself and go, if that's what they're willing to do to save themselves, are they going to do that again if I try and work with them again? So the truth gets caught up in the wash up. The reality of the situation is Sam and Geordie have had a feud. The players have backed in Sam because she's trying to hold alliance together and Geordie's just trying to torture to the earth. Yeah, the parallels here between George and Haley last season are extreme. Uh, between this and the jury stuff, I hope we'll be able to come back next week for Talking Tribal. But I was definitely getting deja vu for a player who is telling the truth of the, the, in Haley's case about George being a double agent, in Geordie's case about Sam's idol lie. And just, and I mean, Sam has an ally in that, uh, in Mark to really back her up in, in the lie. But uh, yeah, and then Geordie gets voted out. Haley got voted out. They both came back. So we'll see what Geordie does with it. If it's a similar trajectory, it's going to go very, very well. But I was definitely having complete flashbacks to a tribal council that you guys had where uh, some harsh words were spoken. Yeah, I was having some hardcore flashbacks for sure. Even the fact that Geordie got voted out unanimously. So that can be useful because you're coming back in and there's not like two, three, four people who are gunning for you because you've already gone, they've gone for you already. So Let's see, it's a tough spot to really correct from there and try to play differently, but let's see what Geordie can do. Shannon, you talked about the fact that Sam has such an amazing ally in her husband, Mark, who just backed up her lie without flinching. He was there all the way. What did you make of her move to move her idol into Mark's bag? I mean, I think she did it well. I feel like sometimes it doesn't translate 
what that must feel like when you're out there having to do things in front of everyone. We've had idols hidden under camps. We've had things that have to be done in the public eye. And I mean, you guys can speak better than I can about what it must feel like to just have to be that sneaky in public. Well, I think this is especially hard because she's been denying it all, for all day. It's not like just finding an idol. And if anyone sees you do it, oh, you found an idol, okay. It's like, oh, you lied. And there's the idol you said you don't have. I think that would have been terrifying to do that in camp. See, what surprised me was this. Why didn't any of the other players actually turn to Sam at that tribal council and go, oh, do you have it or can we have a look at your bag? I mean, that really would have put the spotlight under Sam. And to Sam's credit, she needs to paper over the cracks the next morning. If I saw Sam nonchalantly, sneakily walking over to her bag in broad daylight, I would have been going, what's she doing there? Is she getting changed? She's not getting changed. She's put something in. She's gone to her husband's bag. But sometimes not everybody's paying such close attention in camp. And they're the fine lines in Survivor. You're either absorbing every single bit of information. You're either switched on 24-7 and playing the game and succeeding like Sam is, or you're not. Yeah, I mean, for us, there's like cameras around. This is a big moment and it's being like narrated to us. For everyone else there, like it is just a tiny little moment where she goes through her bag It's never a tiny moment. She said in front of everybody, she doesn't have an idol. I'll show you my bag tomorrow. So every single player should have been paying attention. Why is Sam going to a bag? Has she showed me her bag? I would have gotten back to that camp at night, smiled at Sam and gone, can we have a look at your bag now? I I think Sam's done really well. She's gotten away with it. She's been very proactive. She's realized that her bag is now a liability. So plop it off with her husband. See, that's what gets me is that they didn't follow up on searching through her bag. Like Mark offers it and then she doesn't do it. So that to me is the thing where they, they should have followed up on that. Maybe not like catching every every moment at camp, but why didn't she come back and be like, all right, we'll follow up on that promise. They really just seem to not believe it. In Winners at War, a group of winners made everyone dump their bag yes. on that tribal council. Like that that is what basically hardcore players will do. That's what someone like a Boston Rob will do. It's an extreme type of play. It is an antisocial type of play. But I think that there's been enough distrust around surely this idol thing now that Sam kind of would have to cop to it and show her back. And they still didn't make her even do it. Like she literally gave them nothing and they still believed her. Credit to her, but on everyone else, it's it's kind of worrying. Yeah. And even saying at Tribal, oh, I'll I'll show everyone who's left. Like it feels like, at least because we know, it feels like you're buying time to like deal with that idol in your bag. Sam seems a little surprised that Geordie's gunning for her. We saw in that conversation that was very tense and uncomfortable, very heated between those two. But surely Sam's not surprised by that. Of course Geordie is going to be gunning for Sam. But also, of course Sam has to act like she's surprised. Like that's part of her whole thing. Like if she wasn't surprised by that, then you'd be a bit concerned about does she have that aisle how come she's expecting this but I think that was part of her act to be so shocked that Geordie's gunning for me what I don't have an eye why are you gunning for me so I think that was clever on her behalf that conversation between Geordie and Sam before that tribal council where Geordie was voted off that was by far the highlight of the week for me that kind of real life drama where Sam is doing a couple of things there firstly she's confirming her suspicions that Geordie's targeting her it might not be the case But with Geordie, it was the most obvious reaction ever. She's also mending a relationship. She's building a bridge. She's going up to Geordie saying, you don't have to do this. You have options in the game. And Geordie could have considered them, but he didn't. Geordie has gotten to the point where he's only playing with raw emotions 
ever since he blew up his great brother's game. It's led to his downfall, but he's got a second chance. He's come back. The real test for Geordie is whether he can replicate you, Haley. whether he can change his tact, change his approach, stop playing with emotions and start playing with a bit of strategy. Now, do you think the fact that they didn't see Shea at Tribal Council, they probably suspected something was up, played into how they voted at Tribal Council? Or do you think at least it should have? Yeah, I think they could tell when Shay didn't come to Tribal that something was afoot. You're probably thinking if you've watched the seasons before, there could be something like Redemption Rock or along those lines that might be happening. So they would assume that that's where she is. Yeah, I think that it didn't really affect what they were doing. If anything, throughout the week, as you realise that there is some sort of redemption happening, then you're probably less willing as a majority to make a big move because you know that if you make a big move against Josh and Josh leaves the game, there's a likelihood he's coming back in the game. And then he might not want to work with your old majority and go with the minority that then becomes this majority against you. So in some ways it gives good reason for that majority to stick together and not make any moves against each other. Yes, Haley, I agree with you. I think the only real option that they had there was to just stick to the plan, and that's what they did. They sent Geordie off to purgatory. There's now two physical strong players off in purgatory. Yes, we saw that another two would go and three would come back. But the right thing to do any time you suspect a twist is to just stick with the original game plan. Yeah, I think the writing was on the wall for Geordie, but definitely as they got more and more information and clues through the week, okay, there's clearly something going on. All right, there actually is like a purgatory thing. Okay, multiple people are going to come back. I think that it does really encourage that more conservative gameplay. It's something that Haley and George had with own week last season. So this week was very much like Haley and George's greatest hit through the merger at that point. Sorry to like, you know, maybe bring up some old wounds. But I do think the majority of six staying together and now being the last six in the game with the minority coming back from purgatory, it definitely does encourage that. Possibly encourages sitting on some idols as well when you know that there kind of is that other layer there. And I think they're probably thinking about it through the week. I would be interested to know, like, if there hadn't been the purgatory, because we're at seven, seven, I can't count. (laughs) And that's an interesting time. Like there's a top, there's a six here. Had there not been purgatory, would we have seen a move at that moment? Would we have started to see in that six, who is the four in the six? I mean, Hayley, I'd like to think that the players out there were thinking about that, at least some of them, but um, we'll have to wait and see. Now the end of Ep 17 was... Pretty fascinating, the Tribal Council, where Juicy Dave described it as very, very juicy. He wasn't wrong. Pretty ballsy move from Sam there just to lie, deny everything that had happened. What were your thoughts about how Sam played that and also how Geordie handled Tribal? Clearly Sam has handled this well because what she wanted happened. Geordie went home. I think what we're going to see is the repercussion of a lie like that. And how does it feel for people to go to the jury and be sent home feeling kind of upset about that? I think that it's a dangerous move. It's interesting to watch. I love watching this move. I'm I'm super intrigued that Sam is deciding to lie about it and getting away with it. I think that is hilarious and fascinating. But I'm a bit concerned what will happen in the future because I imagine that the lie will come out because she'll play an idol at some point. And then I wonder what people will feel about trusting her then. Yeah, for me, the blatant, explicit he said, she said lie often feels to me like a last line of defense. Although 
to George's credit, like he played that off well and he did, you know, kind of win that battle with Haley last season uh, before, you know, we kind of came back to it from Haley coming back from Redemption Rock. Kind of reminds me of when you play like social strategy games like Mafia, for example, and then you're just yelling at another person like, you're in the Mafia. No, you're, you know, like I feel like anyone who's played those social strategy games has had that moment where at a point you're just like on your last line and you're just yelling at the other person they, that they are lying. Um, so to me, it always feels like this kind of band-aid approach but as George has shown, it can be more long-term. And I think if someone is going to be able to pull that off, it will be Sam. It'll come up in the jury for sure. But for the game, I'm actually really impressed that in two seasons, two people could maintain this like vocal, explicit lie for so long. And I also want to say for Sam, not the first time this season, which is cool. She pulled off Sandra not thinking that she had voted for her. She thought it was Juicy Dave. And I feel like she got away with that as well. So the fact that it's been followed up here in a larger way, I find that really interesting. It's not easy when JLP is just throwing down the gauntlet of questions at you there at Tribal Council. And let me tell you, he absolutely delights when the players do this at Tribal Council. And I think back to when I had the fury of Queen Haley burning down my throat and she's turning around to everybody going, he's lying, believe me. And then it's just like, you've got to react. You've got to be on your toes. And that's not easy. So having lived through it, Congratulations to Sam. She kept her composure again. She executed her plan again. She's still there. She's still in the numbers and she's playing an absolutely incredible game. Yeah, I I give Sam credit here. I give George credit. Absolutely. That's not an easy thing to do. And to come through when you know you're telling the lie, but it still comes through. It's really impressive. Also, think a bit about like eventually when I got back in the game and the truth came out that George was double crossing, then he's immediately on the bottom and he's in a risky spot. And the only way he can be saved is if someone comes in and saves you. So if that happens here where the truth comes out, eventually Sam plays an idol and then she's on the bottom. It's a tough place to be, but she has Mark. Mark has an idol. So there are a lot of backups for her. We see in the next episode, Sam explained that she wasn't exactly lying by saying Jesse didn't put it in her bag because he handed it to her. Bit of a technicality. And then she put it in her bag. How much do you think the tribe is kicking themselves watching this back, having actually bought her lie? But was she lying, though? I mean, Geordie did say to everybody that Jesse put the idol in Sam's bag and he didn't. Sam just snatched it out of his palm and put it under her sarong. Sometimes it's just the, the way that you spin a yarn. In that situation, Sam wasn't lying. She was telling the truth. And perhaps if uh, Geordie wasn't so farcical in his delivery, people would have believed him instead of believing Sam. George, that's not the truth. That's really stretching what the truth is. No one will enjoy that. Like, oh, well, I, I, he didn't put it in my bag. Like, it's clearly a lie in energy and approach and mentality. It's really, really stretching it to say that that's not a lie. But I guess, you know, whatever kind of she needs to do to be able to pull that off so well in her own mind, like, good for her for now. But there's no way anyone that she said that to will be like, oh, fair point. It wasn't in his bag. Like, no. I agree. It's not the words that matter. It's the intention. And she's intending to misdirect you and she is. So, like, no, I would not be like, oh, that's fine. I guess you did say no. Don't want to harp on too much about brains versus brawn, but there's got to come a point where Sam has to come clean herself. She's got to walk up to her allies and say, do you know what? I actually do have this and I stole it and it was a great thing to do, but here we are and we've got to move forward. So that's what I'm looking out for from Sam next week. How does she deal with the repercussions? 
and will it impact her ability to stay in the numbers right to the end game? Interesting. I wonder if she'll do that. I think I can see the merit that you're talking about in that. Because I did that with you, Hayley, and it was like, of course he was a double agent. Of course I was the leak, but let's move together. I knew you were the leak, but I am. Um... <laughs> well, you definitely did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be a tough thing for Sam to do because she's essentially saying, okay, not only did I lie and I'm confessing up to my lie, but me and my husband have two idols between us. Like that's, I don't know, that's a really tough thing to admit because as you move towards six people left in the game, like I think you just have to start going for them if you fully believe that was true. But the thing is people get very scared of idols. I mean, it, it is very tempting to get rid of idols out there, but if Sam and Mark have an idol between them and the numbers start willing down, the easiest thing to do is to actually work with both of them and get to the top five with them. People want to do things together. If there's a mutual win, if you are the five majority, what does it matter if Sam and Mark finish the game with an idol in their backpack that they can take home to baby Harry? You're in the top five. Well, I think what we see and what we've seen in episode 18 as well is that People are worried about that amount of power. And it's not even Sam's idol because they clearly don't even think she has it. It's the fact that they can win immunities and have an idol. And what they will discover at a point, hopefully, is that it's two idols. It takes away autonomy from everyone else. Like, yes, your alliance might not need it because you're working with them, but it just means that it just takes away options from you. So I think we see, you know, that debate happen all week between like Dave and Sam. Oh, it's good for an alliance to have an idol together. And he disagrees. And I definitely think there's merit to the fear. And I think that there's a culture in this season and every season defines their own culture but I think there has been a complete fear of idols this this season and people have had idols you know attempted to be flushed people have been voted out with idols idols have been stolen like for, for as much as they haven't had an impact it has been because there has been that extreme extreme fear so they're even more in a dicey situation Sam and Mark because it's on this season where people have that particular perception of idols. Is there any chance that maybe Sam could pretend to find an idol to hide the fact that she's got Jessie's? Let me tell you this, James. If Sam is able to pull off finding a real idol that she already stole from Jessie in front of one of the other players and then the tribe believes that, she will truly go down as one of the all-time great villainous liars that's ever played the game of Australian Survivor. Yeah, I can't imagine this working. <laughs> I would love to see it happen. I think that would be hilarious. And if she pulls it off, amazing. But if she pulls it off, shame on everyone else for believing that. <laughs> yeah, that really shouldn't work. But at this point, Sam is playing with so much fire. Like, honestly, nothing to this point should have worked. Like, it's really just like she did one of the biggest moves in Survivor history. And then she's just been just following that path through the through line that has led her to here. And if it leaves her there, like, again, I wouldn't think that that would make sense or be possible, but at this stage, it's kind of beyond what I would think anyway. So maybe it'll work. I guess one of Sam's strengths has been building those relationships. Do you think if the other tribe mates find out that she's been lying about this whole thing, she could make it to the end or has she burnt too many bridges? Oh, I don't know. I think that their trust in Sam at this is built on her own trust. It's also built on a lack of trust with Geordie. And this belief that Jesse is really smart and wouldn't have given it to Sam. So if there's a, it's a web of things in there that are leading to everyone believing Sam. I don't think that if they find out that she's lied about this, they'll be like, oh, that's cool. Like, let's all just trust you about everything still. See, I just look at it like this. You have nine people left in the game after everybody came back on their tour of purgatory. The magic number's five. Mark and Sam are two. Three people need to join them 
and we have the top five on blood versus water of this season of Australian Survivor. And then turn on them. Idols aren't in play then. You've got to be able to think just without emotion, sometimes strategically, a few steps in advance. And if I found out that Sam had the idol, I would say, well, you better bloody work with me now. You better take me to the top five. Otherwise, things is going to happen. I think what's tricky for everyone else is that you can play idols at five. They can win immunity. They have been power players and they are a pair. It's really, really dangerous to take such two power players who are connected so far in the game. But if I'm Sam and Mark, I'm thinking every round that I can get through with our idols um, is a victory. It's all about timing. So at a point, they might cash them out. At a point, they might come for them. At a point, they might realize what's going on and target them. But they have so many tools in the bag. They have each other. They have two shots at this. They have two idols. They have the capacity to win immunity, as we've seen. So if it's happening at like seven, six, maybe that's enough for them to have the juice, which was absolutely the word of the week, to get to what we now know is a final three. So it's all about just saving rounds. And it's unfortunate for them that three people have come back because that just adds that time back. But they have to be able to just kind of eke it out as far as they can until they can run on fumes to the end, I think. Mark and Sam trying to tell Josh that their alliance could actually be helped by them using the idol collectively. What did you think of that strategy? Did you agree? I mean, is it sort of better the devil you know than flushing it and sending it back out there to be found? I can see merit in knowing that your alliance is the one who has the idol and not the people on the bottom who are trying to get rid of you. It makes sense. If you know where the idol is, you can work around that. Although it is interesting to me that Jordan and Josh are moving towards six and they're going there with Mark and Sam and they know they have one and they could have two. If they had two idols and they went to six with them and Jordan and Josh wanted Chrissy and Dave to move with them to final four, they couldn't do it because you could just have Sam and Mark play idols at five and six and win immunities and it kind of they lose their chance to choose where the pathway is going to go. So that was really scary. So I do understand it's good for your alliance to have the idol, especially because we have purgatory and people are coming back. I understand that. So yes, although yeah, dicey, scary thing when there's not many people left in the game. I think when you really boil it down to it, If you don't have the idol in your own backpack, you want it in the backpack of one of your close allies. So I absolutely understand and agree with where Sam's coming from. I just hope that Josh and Juicy Dave understand that. Sometimes people get really, really jittery when there are idols in play. But do you know what? It's true. Better with the devil you know than the devil you don't. Let's talk about purgatory a little bit. We saw Geordie, KJ, Michelle and Shay head there and... KJ was sort of expressing how difficult it would be for her to fake not being annoyed about the fact that she'd been sent there. What do you think about how these four were all voted out? I think for KJ, it's so interesting because she's had such a unique approach to the game, which has kind of been being willfully on the bottom. We saw in the pre-merge that people would tell her to her face that she was the second on multiple splits. Um, It's kind of just kind of being an auxiliary to the majority and biding her time. But a vote like this punishes that type of gameplay. There's merit to that type of gameplay for sure. It's all about timing. When a secret vote comes out and it has to be a second vote of the night, anyone who's seen as expendable or on the bottom can be someone who's taken out. And you think that they're supporting KJ in the challenge back from Purgatory. Like they still feel they can have that relationship with her because they have had a working relationship with her through the game. So even with her being voted out, they would think that they could kind of still work with her on that. So I think it's really frustrating for KJ, but just the fact that it would affect her in this way, I thought just really worked thematically for the season. And I think really spoke to the interesting way I feel that she's approached the whole game. Speaking of relationships, why do you think KJ and in particular Michelle didn't work with Geordie earlier if 
they're so frustrated, which we've seen. Well, they did work with Geordie. I mean, it wasn't on them. We were looking last week at Chrissy and Dave flipping. Those were where the numbers were. So they were on the bottom. We saw that carry through the whole week, possibly due to purgatory, possibly just because they weren't in the numbers and the six was going to stay strong. But I think that it really, they weren't the swing votes. They were on the bottom and we needed Dave or Chrissy to flip at a point at, you know, 10 or at nine. And you know what? Now they get the opportunity again. And honestly, I don't think that they will flip. I mean, a lot of this hinges on Juicy Dave. You have a lot of information for the, to turn the couples against each other. The fact that some of these idle flushes have attempted to happen, the, the whispers that have been going on with him kind of there playing it out. If he wanted to, he could blow up this whole game. And as I said last week, I will say again, I do not believe that he will. Yeah, I also feel like KJ and Michelle have been interested in doing something. And I think they would have done something with Geordie, but they needed the numbers. And as Shannon said, if they weren't able to get those numbers, then it is safer just to vote with the majority. If you know Geordie Geordie's going home and you're still on the bottom, why put two votes on someone like Mark or Josh if uh, you might need them the next day? I think this merge phase of the game has been a bit like a cruise ship. You've got the captains of the ship driving it and steering its direction. Some of the people are the navigators. But KJ and Michelle, they're the ones lying down on the top deck, sunbaking, and then when the ship crashes, they're the ones going, well, you know, it happened. What are we going to do? Purgatory gave those misfits a chance to bond together. Do you think they actually will? Do you think they'll work as a group going forward? Yes, they absolutely need to stick together. We see that Geordie was willing to fight really hard to stay, but we didn't see that from Michelle and we didn't see that from KJ. If Michelle and KJ were fighting as hard to kind of get those cracks, maybe it would have been a different outcome, who knows? But now they are ready to do it. And what I really like is that they have already said to each other, if we get back in, don't be seen talking to each other. Don't let them know that we are all furiously ready for revenge and we're going to work together. Because that is correct that if the majority knew that, they would bond the majority together even more strongly. So I like that. I hope they come back in and they pretend to hate each other um, and try to get in those cracks with the majority and they split them apart. I would love to watch that. I will say as well, like watching Geordie say, whatever happens, even if I'm not there, like amping them all up, kind of being this champion for the underdog. I thought that was an amazing moment. And I do think if you somehow you know, causes a flip or wins his way to the end, he will have a really, really good chance. Because as we've even seen with someone like Sandra and her second win, you don't even have to pull things off necessarily. Sometimes you just have to look like you're trying. And I think that the jury will appreciate if he gets to the end and it's a very far way away. But if that were to happen, I think the jury would appreciate that he was trying to topple this majority that I'm sure most of the jury would be pretty frustrated by by the time it gets to the end. I think it's getting down to just looking at the numbers again. So this new Purgatory Alliance that's returned to the game is three. They only need two more to be a majority. And there's various different ways they can skin this cat. They can tack on Mark and Sam. They can tack on Jordan and Josh. Or they can go for the two other singles left in the game in Chrissy and Dave. The real question is this. You have an opportunity for one of these players to be a sellout, essentially, and to move themselves ahead of the picking order if you are going to immediately target the people that went back from purgatory for a vote off. So it'll be interesting to see what can happen, and I can't wait to see it. I would just caution Geordie here because he's coming back in. People have this perception of him as chaotic now. He's willing to throw mud on the walls. He doesn't care anymore. That's great for us to see while we're watching it. I don't want anyone on the tribe to see that or feel that about him. They need to feel like he's coming back and he's going to be stable. He's going to create this majority from the minority and be stable. Otherwise, 
why would you break away and work with him if you think that he's going to be chaotic and keep making a mess? So I just hope that he can do that because I want that minority to come together now. Knowing all that, do you think the tribe made the right decision with who they sent to purgatory? Yeah, I think so. I think that they were aware of how solid they needed to be, knowing that they would have to have a strong majority and not a fractured group with whoever came back from purgatory, especially getting more information that it would be multiple people. They needed that strong six and they didn't want to divide in that. And I do think that they will be able to steer the course for a little while with that group. So they really did have to be quite solid. Yeah, I agree. Sam said it herself. It worst case scenario, three comes back. She was correct. So if you know that and you know that there will be six and three are coming back, you will have a majority if you keep people who are stable. So they've done that. That was a smart move by the majority. I was getting quite excited by Juicy Dave's plan to blindside Sam, but he did come to his senses at that tribal council. The best thing to do is to just stick together when you're in the numbers and then deal with the consequences later. These people are coming back in the game and they have an opportunity to work with people like Mark and Sam again, to work with Jordan and Josh. And it's just a question of whether they decide to do it or not and it's in their best interests. time for one of our favorite segments it's world of survivor with shannon shannon's probably one of the most knowledgeable experts in the world when it comes to survivor not just our local franchise but survivor worldwide there's not a series of this show she hasn't seen anywhere and this week we're talking tribal councils some of the wildest moments from tribal councils in survivor history and this is as good a time as any to explore that because we saw some Pretty big fireworks this week on Australian Survivor when the tribe was told to go to a second vote immediately, which was pretty big. Shannon, you've seen all of Survivor everywhere. Has this happened before ever? Yeah, so we've seen this in Australian Survivor and in US Survivor. So in Australian Survivor, it's a good indication that it's going to be a non-elimination. We did see it in Australian Survivor 2017 when Tara went and then immediately they re-voted Annalise out. But where we saw whispers in this tribal council, they had a bit of a different way of deciding it. In 2017, uh, when they went up to the voting booth, they yelled out Annalise's name to indicate to each other that she would be the target. Um, in US Survivor, there are no non-eliminations. So when Jenny Bay got the infamous message in a bottle twist in Cook Islands and she got sent out right after Rebecca, she did not go to purgatory or any type of exile island. She went straight to the jury and it is still debated as like quite a painful thing to happen to her. How do you think this week's tribal council stacks up to some of the big moments in tribal councils on Australian Survivor? Well, as we've talked about, flashbacks to Haley and George with just even before the twist, like all of the lying George and the yelling Haley about who was right. Well, I mean, vocally expressing your point of view when you are at odds. I feel like Geordie and Sam were very much on your page with that. But I think that it reminded me of some other wild tribal councils. For example, Luke at the final five of Australian Survivor 2019, he sends Baden out of tribal council and then wields his magic, whispering in everyone's ear to create a 2-1-1 that sent Abby out. And it reminded me of that because it's another twist that we see affect the game at Tribal Council. Often we see some of these twists like what they call safety without power, sending yourself or someone else out of the Tribal Council, maybe a vote steal or a second vote like this. That type of thing changes the structure right at Tribal Council, so the vote needs to be changed in that setting as well. 
George and Haley, there's always twists in Survivor. Did you guys ever go to Tribal with sort of a, a backup in mind, just in case there was something like this sprung on you? I think with a vote like this, it's almost impossible to prepare for it because unless you have a split vote candidate, you don't have a backup. And if you're not allowed to talk at the tribal council, you do have to do crazy things like screaming out A-N-N-A to spell out Annalise or to have a whisper with a player next to you. But it's hard to do. You can't prepare for a second vote. You don't have the time to talk through 10 different backup options and sometimes people will just get confused if you do. Just like George, I think everyone struggles to spell Annalise's name. But look, you often you're debating who's going home. It's not always clear in a majority that it's just going to be this one person going. So people have different ideas about who they want. So you are talking about a few candidates. So although it's not ideal when you're in a majority, yeah, you probably have someone in mind who you think you can vote off. And we see that happen here because they didn't get up and whisper and have a big conversation, but they all voted the same person off. So you do imagine that they've already created that um, hierarchy of who they're going to vote off when you're in a majority. But I think as well, what we're seeing is the different evolution of live tribal councils in US Survivor as compared to the rest of the world. Australian Survivor is still kind of evolving with the live tribal councils of it all. And we definitely did see Sam earlier this season put the votes on Juicy Dave in that tribal council that apparently made him into Juicy Dave. But it's much, much more apparent in US Survivor where they'll have whole tribal councils where the vote will change. They've had tribal councils in season 38, famously, that took up well over half of the episode where all of the strategizing is happening in whispers at tribal council, possibly too much um, if you ask the fans. So I think that we're still seeing, we have to see the whispers in a vote like this, unless they were going to do it at the voting booth. But I think we're still kind of seeing that emerge and evolve through Australian Survivor in a way that it's completely evolved already in US Survivor. To give it some context, where do you think this sits in terms of some of the more eventful tribal councils we've seen on the international versions of Survivor? Yeah, there have been so many crazy tribal councils and it can be because of a twist like this. It can be just because of information being spilled. Quite famously in the first Blood versus Water in US Survivor, at the final six, Jervis unwittingly gave the hierarchy to Sierra, put her as fourth in their alliance, and she flipped to rocks at that very tribal council. That one stands out for me. There have been some kind of different tacks in this. In the last Survivor South Africa season, Immunity Island, there was a tribal council that was all about who had cheated, who had stolen food. It became like a trial, and there was a lot of debate around that. So that's definitely one that stands out. But I think what's really interesting in what you see in US Survivor is often the biggest blind sides happen when there's calm. And I think that that distinction has been really interesting. Looking at something like Winners at War, so many live tribals, so many twists, for example, vote seals, Jeremy leaves safety without power. We're having full-on huddles at tribal council. And those are some crazy tribal councils. But it was when the situation was at its calmest and everyone's just sitting there and you don't expect the chaos that someone will just get kind of sniped in a blind side, like, for example, Sophie did in that season. So I think sometimes the distinction between chaos and calm and the way that the blind sides can come out of the calm, that's really interesting to me as well when you're looking at crazy tribal councils. When you're trying to pull off a blind side and everyone's trying to keep mum and keep quiet about not trying to spook the person who's going home, you don't want chaos. Like the last thing you want is everyone up and whispering in everyone's ears because the theory is the person you're trying to blindside will play an idol because they're not quite sure what's going on. They need calm to pull off these blindsides. Can I just say there's nothing more exciting than throwing a bit of spin at tribal council and it's um, it's always interesting to see how players answer these difficult questions that get thrown at them by JLP. A couple of times this season we've seen some of the players 
openly throw out a name, but I always enjoy it when you say one thing and it gets interpreted in two different ways by two different factions. That's always a fun thing for me. Shannon, what do you reckon are some of the biggest twists we've ever seen in a tribal council when you cast your mind back to what you've seen of International Survivor? All the non-eliminations in Australian Survivor that happen at tribal council, we've seen several of them uh, even in this season. Sometimes it comes up before the vote, which we've seen less of this season, but it's going to be a kidnapping, for example, and, and you know you don't even go to a vote. There are just the individual advantages that affect tribal council before a vote, things like safety without power, things like vote steals, things like uh, idol steals that we're seeing more recently in the US. Those are all the things where you think one thing going in and then some advantage or mechanism radically changes that before you get to vote and then you have to change your strategy and often then there's a lot of vocalising at tribal council about that. Shannon, as well as being a Survivor fanatic, you've actually worked on the production side of Survivor South Africa. Are there any wild twists that you've ever thought of, oh man, I'd like to see that at a tribal council? I have famously said I like when the twists happen earlier. I like the players to have as much time as possible, as much information to work around it strategically. So when they are surprised with something like this, it's not necessarily my favourite thing. But I will say that, you know, no one is screwed in that situation. Like, if you are seen as expendable, if you haven't got the number to that point, if you were willing to be sacrificed as a second and your game hadn't kind of progressed more than that, than being like the next target, then that is on you. Yes, it will punish certain types of game styles, but that player has to cop to that. So as much as I don't like it, there are still things that you should be doing to try and protect against that. I was quite fascinated by the currency tokens they introduced at Survivor 40, Winners at War. If we were going to come up with a new idea and if the Survivor gods are listening, why not let the player get voted off, have some kind of punishment system where they can nominate someone that spends a day on purgatory or spends a whole day without having access to food. So let the person who's been blindsided have the slightest bit of revenge and impact the game moving forward. As I've played so recently, um, the idea of introducing more twists at Tribal sounds really scary to me. (laughs) Do so much legwork trying to make a vote come together that for that to kind of be impacted and crumble apart at Tribal Council, not fun for the players. Super fun to watch at home uh, sometimes. Yeah, I'm not going to throw in the mix um, any twists for Tribal Council. Time now to hand over to George, who caught up with Michelle, our most recently eliminated contestant. Find out about her experience on this year's Australian Survivor. Michelle, welcome to Australian Survivor Talking Tribal. It's great to have you here. How are you going today? Thank you for having me. I've been, I'm going pretty well. My first question for you is coming from one twin to another. How did it feel to beat Mel at Australian Survivor and go further than her in the game? Well, we all know that my sister Mel is the super fan and I came on the game for her to beat her. And at first it was a little bit sad because I was seeing her dream disappear and her moment was going away. But now it's pretty euphoric. I'm pretty happy I have bragging right for life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good that you've got the, uh, the banter covered at every future family function forever. Michelle, you found yourself at the bottom of the minority alliance, especially after having been sent to purgatory. Was that frustrating, having that experience in the game? Um, Overall, yes. I mean, being at the minority is not a fun place to be. You would think that there would be cracks in the majority, 
but really those six are extremely tight and it was a close group there was no cracks there was nothing i guess they just wanted to get to the final six and then have a go at each other what do you think is your fondest experience of living out there in the australian outback i'm a city girl at heart i don't normally go camping as my first choice so living in the dirt and cleaning my teeth with charcoal and water and using my muscle shell to clean my teeth and using leaves as soap i definitely didn't know that i could do that be that person but now i know and i actually appreciate nature a lot more is there anything in particular that drew you to the game of australian survivor or was it all mel were you doing this for mel just to beat her i was doing this for mel and that's the only reason why i came on the show We used to watch the show when we were really young when we were 12 we would watch the first few seasons together and then I went off and did other things and she continued on the survivor train so when the opportunity came up that it was blood versus water and I just moved back to Australia like I think it was only a month that I was back and she said please apply and I was unemployed so I was like okay I'll do it for you and then I can beat her that was my inner drive Michelle, you were out there for about a month. Do you have a particular moment that stands out as your favorite? One of my favorite moments, which I wish that I could watch it again, was back at Water 2.0. Sam, being a you know, she was a law theater student, and Khan, being Khan that he is, and I would sing songs. This one particular moment was when we sang a whole new world, and I was Aladdin, and. <laughs> Sam was Jasmine and Khan was the magic red carpet of my sarong. That was my favorite moment in the whole game. I had not belly laughed that hard in a very long time. <laughs> It's always those special moments back in camp that you look back on. What did you think was the hardest part of playing the game of Australian Survivor? I think being not as a super fan and not being fully aware about Survivor as its form, I think the lying and the manipulating and anything was very difficult for me because I don't lie and I don't cheat and I don't steal and I don't manipulate and I don't do that in real life. So I think it was an out of body experience for me to do that and to take the lying in as well. And in terms of the players of the game Michelle, who would you say that you were closest to over the month that you were there? So initially, I was very close with Kate and Sandra. We bonded, we were very close in the beginning. Me not knowing as much about the game, I gravitated towards people that knew a lot about the game, so I had Sandra as my bible and Kate as my encyclopedia. Kate could just tell you things from whatever season of survivor of any country and whatever episode and whatever interaction she was amazing with her facts and figures later on i grew close with sam and i grew close with mostly of the og red tribe jordan i grew close with jesse ben even crock so i think those bonds from when we didn't have fire for the first 3 days that really helped us group as a whole and so i think throughout my journey mostly the OG red tribe were my closest allies thinking back on your time in the game is there anything that you think you could have done differently particularly before the last tribal council you know looking back i 
I really don't think that I could do anything differently. I really tried very hard to convince, especially Dave, Juicy Dave, that, you know, eventually they're going to come and get you. <laughs> so, but unfortunately it didn't work out. I probably maybe would have pushed more that, you know, maybe people were skeptics about the two idols, at least play as if there was two idols just in case. But otherwise, no, I wouldn't change anything. My last question for you, Michelle, is looking forward to the final part of the end game. Who do you think are the biggest threats left in the game? Well, definitely Sam and Mark, because, you know, they have two idols. Two idols at this end of the game is extremely dangerous. They're also, you know, ex-players before. They know how to play the game as well. I would say that Jordy would be a very big threat because he would probably get a lot of points from the jury if he continues to stay. Well, Michelle, it was so much fun watching you play Australian Survivor. Even better to have the chance to interview here on Australian Survivor Talking Tribal. Can't wait to see what you end up doing in your life. Wishing you all the very best. Thank you, George. Well done there, George. Great chat with Michelle, who seemed to really relish her experience on Australian Survivor. But Australian Survivor is heating up. We're getting towards the pointy end. There's only a few weeks to go, so you do not want to miss a single episode. You can catch it, of course, every Sunday night, 7.30 on Channel 10, and of course, 10 Play on demand. But as I say, things are getting very, very exciting. So you want to keep your eyes glued to the last few weeks of Australian Survivor. Make sure you subscribe to the Australian Survivor Talking Tribal podcast where you hear exclusive conversations you can't hear anywhere else. Thanks for listening to Australian Survivor Talking Tribal, a Network 10 podcast.